Zechariah chapter 3. You know, when you look at the world and you see the way that people are crying for justice all around the world, um, just the verdict last night given, or this morning, whenever it was, in the George Zimmerman case, George Zimmerman trial with the shooting of Trayvon Martin, and the the people holding up signs in the streets calling for justice. We need justice for Trayvon. Um, and you see this type of thing often. The And whether or not justice was done based on the evidence that was presented, that was the only option that the jury had based on the evidence that was presented. Does that mean that George Zimmerman didn't do exactly what the prosecution said he did. The evidence said that he didn't. We don't know. We don't know. When you look at so many cases like this, and it seems, if you look at the trials that go on around the world, all over Europe, the Christians are gathering, the so-called Christians are gathering together, fighting this social gospel fight. And the idea of the social gospel is that the structures of society are unjust. That Jesus Christ died on the cross because of the injustice in society. That's what the social gospel teaches. There's no concept of heaven or hell. It's the idea that heaven is a perfect society here on earth and that if we uh, eliminate suffering, if we eliminate poverty, then there can be justice on the earth. The only way to eliminate poverty and suffering is to take the money from the people that have it and give it to the people who don't have it because if people have money, they earned it unjustly. So the countries that have money, they have, through the United Nations, they have to be brought down to the same standard of living as the poor countries. And so we have to have a carbon tax because we are because the, the wealthy countries are the ones emitting the CO2 emissions which are causing the, the globe to warm. And so the only way that we can have justice in the globe is for those wealthy nations to give money to the poor nations because it's the wealthy nations that are polluting the world. Now, those of you, how many of you are 40 years old or older? Would you raise your hand? How many of you don't claim either one? <laughs> I think it would surprise you, those of you that are 40 years old or older, it would surprise you to learn that what I just said is the basic curriculum in most of the schools in the Western world through something that's called Agenda 21. It's a curriculum that's being promoted by the United Nations to impact the schools so that we can have a global ideal as opposed to sovereignty. That's where we are. Now, certain school systems are rejecting Agenda 21, and we're thankful for that kind of uh, stand that people are taking. Um, but but you would be amazed. How is it that people can believe that using hairspray is going to cause the oceans to rise? Now, I understand some of you ladies, you husbands, think your, your wife uses enough hairspray to cause the ocean to rise. I, I understand. But that, it's, it's not going to happen. 
that anthropogenic global warming, it does not exist, okay? It just doesn't exist. And yet we have a world where that's happening, and th this, this concept of justice, the only way that you can have justice is to cause the haves to give to the have-nots. That's the concept of justice that we have. You say, Pastor, all that's interesting. What does that have to do with Zechariah? Let's look at it. Zechariah chapter 3. And look at verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And remember we looked last week, the branch. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it says, my branch, and he's the king in the book of Jeremiah, that matches up with Jesus Christ being king of the Jews in Matthew. When he's called my servant in Zechariah chapter 6, that matches up with, or in Zechariah chapter 3, that matches up with Mark where Jesus Christ is the servant. When we see him as behold the man in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, that matches up with Luke, Jesus presenting Jesus Christ as the suffering servant. In the book of Isaiah where it identifies uh, the branch as the Lord or as the king, well, Jesus Christ is the, the God of the world, the Word of God in John chapter 1. So you can see it identifying Jesus Christ and who He is as the branch. Then it says, behold, in verse 9, for behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Psalm 118, verse 22, Jesus Christ is the stone that the builders refused, which has become the head stone of the corner. Jesus Christ is that headstone. The Bible says in the book of Matthew that that is the stone that will crumble, crush to powder those that come against him. The Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 2 that that stone will come and crush these kingdoms that rise up against Israel. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter that the only way that a person can get saved is through that stone. And we are made lively stones, but he is a stone of stumbling and a stone of offense to those who refuse to believe. And that Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone. Amen? That's who Jesus Christ is. But now let's look at this and let's see where this idea of justice and righteousness and all of that comes in. All right, you young people, I know you're tired from camp. Make sure you've got your Bible and you're looking at it. I do want to say this about our kids. Man, they were awesome at camp. They did a great job. I also want to say this. While I was sitting up here singing, you guys were singing great. It was awesome hearing you guys sing uh, during our congregational singing. That's really, isn't that awesome? That young people setting themselves apart to the Lord in worship and song. That's awesome. I, I love that. Okay, look at verse 9. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. On this stone will be seven eyes. Last week I announced my message as the branch, the stone, and the seven eyes. We got through the branch and the stone. What is this concept of the seven eyes? Where can we go to understand this? Well, look at chapter 4. And look at verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. Okay, the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. That is saying that the temple is going to be finished. All right? And so now the temple hasn't been finished yet, but it will be. So don't despise the small beginning because a great thing is coming. That's what he says. Now look at what it says. 
in the hand of Zerubbabel, with those seven. They are the seven eyes, or they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. These eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth. Now, that, what is that talking about? These eyes of the Lord running to and fro through the whole earth. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 16. Second Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 9. Why are these eyes of the Lord running to and fro? What is, in the Bible, what is the number of perfection? Seven. Look at Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? To show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Now remember what's going on here. King Asa has trusted the king of Syria rather than trusting the Lord. And what God is doing, the Bible says here, is the Lord is, his eyes are going to and fro in the earth looking for someone whose heart is perfect toward him to whom he can show himself strong. Now, here's the blessing. I think this is so cool. If I had stopped in the first part of that verse, for the eyes of the Lord are to and fro, running to and fro in the earth. You know what that does for me? I get a little nervous with that. Because what does that mean? That seven, the eyes of the Lord, seven eyes of the Lord. That idea, it's the, the idea of God having perfect vision of everything that's going on in the world. He sees everything. How many believe God sees everything that's going on? How many of you thinking about that, it bothers you a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And now I want you to understand it in the context of Zechariah. In the context of Zechariah, it's talking about Jesus Christ, remember in chapter 2, dwelling in the midst of the people and governing the nations righteously. That's what Jesus Christ is doing. And this idea of the seven eyes of God, when Jesus Christ rules and reigns from Israel, from Jerusalem, He'll know everything that's going on in the world and He'll judge everything that's going on in the world righteously. In Second Chronicles, Asa wasn't trusting that God to know what he needed. God, have you forgotten us? I guess I'd better go and trust the king of Syria instead of trusting you. And he says here, God says to Asa, Look, I delivered you from the armies, from the horsemen of the Ethiopians. I delivered you. And you didn't think I could deliver you here? You needed the king of Syria? God wants to bless Israel. That's what he wants to do. That's his desire. God wants to bless you as well. Let's try to get an idea of these seven eyes of God and what they're speaking of. Go to Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. So now, remember what's happened. The Apostle John has been transported into heaven to see the things that are going to come hereafter, according to chapter 4 and verse 1. So he has been called up into heaven. God says, come up hither. And he is now standing in the presence of God, and he is writing what God tells him to write. And what happens is he sees a book. 
It's sealed with seven seals written on the front and on the back. And he said, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And he said, I wept much for no man was found worthy to open the book or to loose the seals thereof. No man in heaven or earth or under the earth. No one was found worthy. And he wept. And one of the angels comes and says, fear not, weep not, for the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. And he can open the seals. Now, what that means is the destruction of the globe. That's what he's going to do when he looses those seals. He's going to destroy the earth and judge Israel. And they're going to come and get saved. And then he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem. But let's look at how this lamb, the lamb that was slain, let's look at how he is described in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... In the midst of the what? The throne. Do you see that? And in the midst of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Isn't that interesting how that ties together with Zechariah and with Second Chronicles? How many of you think that's pretty cool when you're seeing this? So we're going to get some explanation here about what's going on. These seven eyes, they're related to the throne and they're related to the spirits of God and these seven horns. What's that talking about? Well, already in Zechariah, we've seen having a horn, that that horn is power. And Jesus Christ, according to this passage, has perfect power. Seven horns. Perfect, absolute power. What did Jesus Christ say to the disciples in Matthew chapter 28? All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore. That's what Jesus Christ said. He has all power. That's the seven horns. But this is interesting to me. And having the seven eyes of God, which are the seven spirits of God. What's that talking about? Look at, your, look at the Bible. The same verse, Revelation 5, 6. It says, which are the seven spirits. Is spirits capitalized there? Yeah, yeah, the seven spirits of God. So this is talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Let's see if that's referenced anywhere else. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. What's going on here? Jesus Christ, describing himself, says he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Go to chapter 1 and verse 19, and we'll see what those seven stars are. Or chapter 1, verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Okay? So here Jesus Christ is telling us that when it says he has these seven stars, that each of those churches that are spoken to, they have an angel, and Jesus Christ has those angels in his hand. He's controlling those churches. They're his churches. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you are glad that you're saved? You know that you're born again. And you're thankful for that. You're in his hand. You're in his hand. And he's not going to let you out of his hand. That's what a blessing that is. 
I could talk some more about those seven stars, but I don't want us to get distracted there. Let's look at these seven spirits of God. Let's see if the Bible tells us anything more about these seven spirits of God, which are the seven eyes of God, which are the seven spirits of God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his what? Throne. They're before his throne. So there's a connection. The seven spirits of God before the throne of God and these seven spirits of God are the seven eyes. They're the seven eyes. So that's explaining what's going on in Zechariah. Now look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So this seven spirits of God is related to Jesus Christ with these seven eyes of God. Go back to Revelation chapter 4. So we have these seven eyes of God, which are the seven spirits of God before the throne of God. Let's look at uh, chapter 4 and verse 5. And out of the what? The throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So these seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God, which are the seven spirits of God. So now we have seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, and they're flaming. That's what the text says. The Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ comes, his eyes are as a flaming fire. Isn't that interesting? So what is this? This is the perfect vision of God, the perfect vision of Jesus Christ from his throne either able to give, to show himself strong, 2 Chronicles 6, 19, or 6, 9, or as a flame of fire in judgment, and it's your choice as to which eyes you see. Isn't that interesting? These are the seven eyes of God, these seven spirits of God. Let's try to get a little better understanding of the seven spirits of God. What's that talking about? Well, first of all, it's the perfect Holy Spirit, capitalized Holy Spirit, who is before the throne of God. Go to Isaiah chapter 11 and look at the definition that Isaiah gives us of this Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. We went to verse 1 last week and I told you to hold your place. I've just had you hold it for a week. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Remember, uh, he's the vine, we're the branches. That's awesome, isn't it? And so we're engrafted into the vine, that branch is Israel, and we're grafted into Israel. Now look at verse 2. And, and, and let me say this. If you're a guest with us, and I'm saying that, those branch, that branch is Israel and we're grafted into the vine, and then I just go on, um, if you trace those words and phrases down in the Bible, it, the Bible's very clear on what those are. We're not just making up some spiritual interpretation of the Scriptures. We're going by the words of the Bible to describe what's going on. 
And I know that for me, when I've jumped into someone who's teaching something like this, it can be a little confusing when you've not been there for the background. So understand that if you get the, the CD or you go online and you download the other teaching, we've explained what these things are. All right, now look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and, of underst- and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I want you to see something. There are seven characteristics here. Seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's the Spirit of the Lord, number one. The Spirit of understanding. I'm sorry, the the Spirit of wisdom. The Spirit of understanding. Number four, the Spirit of counsel. Number five, the Spirit of might. Number six, the Spirit of knowledge. And number seven, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. These are the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit that the Bible gives us in Isaiah chapter 11. You see how cool that is? (laughs) It's just, God's Word is so awesome. And how do you learn this that we're talking about? By looking at the words. When he says the seven spirits of God, what does that mean? The seven spirits of God. Does that mean that there are seven Holy Spirits? No. No, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Is anybody saved here? Is the Holy Spirit in you? Is there more than one Holy Spirit? No. This is His perfection. His perfect Spirit And so that's how God knows everything that's going on in the world because the Holy Spirit is everywhere telling Him everything that's going on at all times. And for His people, He's looking to bless. For those who are wicked, He wants them to repent and that's what the Holy Spirit does. Or He will judge. Justice. Justice. The Bible talks about Jesus Christ that He would be the just and the justifier of them that believe. Jesus Christ, people talk about social justice. I saw Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, debating Jim Wallace, um, who is the head of Sojourners, a a socialist so-called Christian organization. And Jim Wallace was talking about social justice, and uh, Moeller said to him, this this idea of social justice, there is no such thing as social justice. There's only justice. And it's God. God is just and the justifier. I thought that was just the best answer to that 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 anyone could ever give. When we look at justice, we want to accomplish justice. We'll never accomplish justice. Only God will do that. We can enforce laws. And we can make sure that as, as a government, we can try to be just. But you can't have genuine justice without the Spirit of God. And what does that justice bring? That justice brings liberty. Um, In Egypt right now, I want you to think about something. Egypt is 70% agrarian. So 70% of the population of the nation of Egypt earn their living by farming. But they still have to import 70%, 60 or 70% of their food. I think it's 60% of their food. Isn't that interesting? Something like 45% of the Egyptians live on less than $2 a day. That's Egypt. One of the big problems that you have in Egypt, now you hear about the Coptic Christians. We need to understand what a Coptic Christian is. Uh, The Copts were an early cult 
and they're, they're not born-again people like us, but they're not Muslims. And so the Coptic Christians are being persecuted by the Muslims in Egypt right now. Uh, we understand that Morrissey, who was, the head, who was a, a part of the Muslim Brotherhood, was elected as president. He started imposing Sharia law. They brought about a new constitution that imposed Sharia law on the people. And it was so punitive and so difficult to live under that now there's been another uprising and there's been a coup. Now, let me just say this. The definition of a coup or a coup for Pastor Nathan, the, the, the definition of a coup is when the military takes over the government. So the military went into Morrissey's headquarters and put him in chains and put him, took him to jail. So what is that called? A coup. I dare you to find somebody in the news saying that because according to our law, if there's a coup, we can't give them money. But we're still going to give them money. Fighter jets. Crazy. So now, here's, what, here's what's going on. You have these people in Egypt now who are upset with the Muslim Brotherhood. They oust Morrissey and now they have put a person in charge who is a general in the army who is also an Islamist, is the term they're using now, which is a, a radical Muslim. What in the world's going on? You have the clash between the Sunni and the Shia, which is a civil war that's going on all over the world between the Shia Muslims and the Sunni Muslims. I'm not going to get into the definitions of that today, but that's what's going on in the Muslim world. Civil war all over the Muslim world. Um, just recently in Lebanon, in the last week, a car bomb blew up in the Hezbollah compound there, and it was a part of that civil war that they fought for years and years in Lebanon and almost destroyed the country, and it looks like it may be coming back again. So this is what's going on. So here's the problem. The people in, Israel, the people in Egypt, they want liberty. They want freedom. Is that right? But they also want Islam. And freedom and Islam don't go together. Why? Why is that? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. How did we get from Zechariah to Egypt? I'm going to show you. It would scare you if you knew what was going on in my mind right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 17. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, what does it say? Liberty. How did we end up with liberty in the United States? How do we have liberty here? People who love the Lord. And because we are free moral agents before God, that is, every individual will stand before God and give account for his work or his works. Believers, they will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And what will be judged? Their work to see what sort it was. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. What is your work for the Lord? You're going to receive rewards or you're going to lose rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. You will, if you're saved, you will stand before God and give an answer for what you've done as a believer for God. Not whether or not you're going to go to hell, but whether you're going to receive rewards or lose rewards. What are those rewards for? They're the gifts that you can give to Jesus Christ. You can bow down at His feet and give Him the rewards that you have earned by grace for your service on earth. But there's also the great white throne judgment. 
And the Bible says that those people at the great white throne judgment, and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on the throne, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great. What happens? Death and hell give up the dead that were in them. They stand before God, and they're judged according to their works. And what's the judgment? The lake of fire. And death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Will it be tormented day and night forever? And because our founders, those who believed the Bible, those Baptists who fought for that First Amendment, they believed that we're all going to stand before God and give an account. So you can't force a man to believe anything. It has to be in his heart. Where does that come from? That comes from the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. Is that awesome? How many of you ever equate liberty with Islam? So let me ask you a question. How can there ever be justice in the world when the Spirit of God is rejected? There can't be. There can't be. These social gospel ministries, who their, their key verse is, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. He said, wherein did we do this? How did we help you? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. All of those things, that's all about the nation of Israel. And it's the judgment of nations where Jesus Christ is going to come back and judge the nations, whether they're sheep nations or goat nations. The sheep nations will go into the kingdom and they'll be reigned by Jesus Christ. The goat nations are going to be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what the Bible says. It's very clear. So how do they end up with a social gospel ministry out of that? Because they're doing what they want to do. They found verses to go along with their socialism. They will never create justice in the world because they are rejecting the one that is the just and the justifier of those that believe. So, Pastor Jim, you're talking about Egypt, you're talking about Lebanon, you're talking about Shia and Sunni, you're talking about the social gospel. What does this have to do with the seven eyes of God? Well, because the only way that we're genuinely going to understand what's going on in the world is when we see through the eyes of Christ. When we see through the Holy Spirit's eyes. How are we going to see the world through the Holy Spirit's eyes? By comparing Scripture with Scripture and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to help us to know what's going on in the world. Let me tell you this. There's coming a day when there aren't going to be any more robberies. Right? Can I tell you this? There's never been a rapist that got away with it. There's never been a child molester that got away with it. There's never been an injustice that God has not seen. Isn't that wonderful? Look at, look at Exodus chapter 14. Look at verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. 
um, oh, what was his name? One of the generals in the Six-Day War that Israel had with Egypt and the other nations. Um, he talks about these troops that are coming to attack Israel. And all of a sudden, it seemed like these, these, this air force wiped them out. They were gone. And he said, the only problem is we didn't have an air force. The people that were on the ground in that war, who are not Christians, they're not Christians. You know what happened? Somebody else fought for them. And look, maybe Shimon Perez, was that his name? I don't remember. But the Lord fought for them. And you can check it out. Don't just take my word for it. Look at the reports of the generals on the ground when Israel was being invaded and the way that God helped them. Can I promise you something? Israel's not going to be destroyed. Might be a good idea for us to get on the side of Israel. Is that right? Why? Why? Because they're good people? No, because the God who sees everything has told us, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. So what are we doing? We're looking at things with spiritual eyes. You might have been hurt in the past. And in a room this size with this many people, I'm sure that there is someone here who has been hurt horribly by someone else. Can I promise you something? You don't have to get the vengeance. God will. God will. How many of you believe in God? That's where justice comes in. And I want you to see something. Who is it that saves Israel? Who is it that rules and reigns in Jerusalem? He's the branch. He's the stone with the seven eyes. Those seven eyes that see perfectly everything that's going on in the world. Can I promise you something? When you submit to the seven eyes of the Spirit, that is, the all-knowing, all-powerful Spirit, do you know what you have? Liberty. I promise you there's someone here that you are chained to what someone has done to you in the past. You're chained to that. Can I promise you something? God knows what they did. Put it in His hands. Do you know what you'll have? Liberty. You'll be free. You'll be free. We as, we as conservative Americans, whether Democrat or Republican, we as conservative people who want to conserve and preserve our Constitution and the republic that we were given, we look out and we see the injustice of what's going on in the government. Can I promise you something? The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord you know what we need to do? We need to be active. I'm not saying to step back and not do anything. What I'm saying, though, is fight understanding, recognizing that the one who is all-powerful has the seven horns and the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, Revelation 5, 6. When we rest in that, then, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Let's look at it one more time. The Bible says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Look at the next verse. But we all, with open face, behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. We're going to be made to be just like Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus Christ sees? He sees your pain. He sees the sickness that you have. 
he sees the diabetes, he sees the cancer, he sees the leukemia, he sees whatever it is that you're dealing with. He sees it. And one of these days, you're going to have a perfect body. Amen? Do you know what that gives you? What, what should that give you? Liberty. It gives me liberty. Lord, I trust you. The, the anxiety that you have, the fear that you have, the, the emotional disturbance that's in you, Jesus Christ wants to give you liberty. He wants to give you freedom from that. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. And He sees everything. Quit trying to fight His battles for Him. Let Him fight and you get on His side. It'll help you so much. Let's go back to Zechariah chapter 3. Verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee. For there men wondered at, for behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. You know, you, you look at someone who, they may have cancer, and the doctor will go in and do surgery. And often, this is what the doctor will say. We think we got it all. How many of you ever heard something like that? We think we got it all. I want you to see something here. The Bible says in the middle of verse 9, And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Who is going to do that? The one that has the seven eyes. The one that sees our iniquity. And here, it's the iniquity of Israel perfectly. And He will remove every bit of it perfectly. How awesome is that? That's our God. Thank you, Lord, so much for who you are.